last night. And uh, sometimes people always say, well, the meetings will go on, and they could, but actually our chapter also ends tomorrow night. We're going to get to verse 12. So if, uh, if anyone wants them to continue, we will uh, maybe go into Isaiah 54. Um, but uh, tonight we're going to speak on verse 11, tomorrow night verse 12, and that will conclude the series that we've gone through here in this chapter. Before we open up God's Word and speak from it, we'll ask for His help in the meeting. I pray to Our Father, we come this evening thanks once again for the place that is called Calvary, and of all the places that this world could champion as what would be its greatest or most desirable place on planet Earth, uh, nothing can compare to this place, because nothing can compare to the man who went to this place and went there for our sakes. And so tonight, as we open your word, and as we speak from it once again, and as we sound out the gospel message, the invitation to whosoever, we pray, Lord, that we would be pleased to reach out also to those who are seeking a Savior tonight, those who want their sin forgiven. We pray, Lord, that as you have promised in your word, uh, that the sinner and the Savior always meet. And we would ask, Lord, that tonight that it would be your pleasure, not only the pleasure that was seen when your son uh, was forsaken there, your son died at Calvary, uh, the, the pleasing uh, aspect of Calvary uh, to the Father above, but also uh, that you would be pleased in seeing a sinner brought to Christ. And so we ask for your help tonight, and we ask it now in your son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So our verse tonight, as I've said, is the second to last verse here in Isaiah 53. We started at verse 1. We have skipped over just two verses. And each night, uh, if you have noticed as I have, each night the verses stand alone. They, they don't need any help. The verses that we've read. And that's what makes this chapter so unique amongst other chapters, is that each verse that we've read in this chapter is a gospel message in and of itself because every verse in this chapter refers to Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary. And so it is the same with the verse we're going to read tonight. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. And there's something very unique about tonight's verse. Maybe I'll just tell you before I read it. Sometimes anticipation is a good thing. What's nice about the gospel message is that it's God speaking. And sometimes I, I even think of Isaiah 53 as the fifth gospel. Some people call it that. I've read through some commentators. They say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah 53, the fifth gospel. I think it's the first gospel because it comes before all the other four. And such a short gospel, only 12 verses, that tells us everything that we could want to know about Jesus Christ from his beginning to his ending, to his resurrection, from his death until his exaltation, everything that we could long to know is here in this chapter. But something happens tonight in this verse that has not happened in the chapter so far, but has happened in this song. We said this song started back in Isaiah 52. But tonight, in this chapter, and you can listen for it, it changes. You ever hear some people talking and they're speaking and all of a sudden, someone else comes up and speaks. It'd be as though I were telling you about someone tonight. Maybe I was telling you 
about my father. And then all of a sudden, my father came up here and started speaking. It would be different. And Isaiah, in this chapter, he speaks about the Lord Jesus. He speaks about him in each verse. And we listen in each verse as Isaiah tells us something about the Lord Jesus. And then in this verse that we're going to read tonight, the God of heaven, it's as though he comes down and he says, Isaiah, just hang on one second. And he speaks. The God of heaven says something about his son in this verse. And it hasn't happened before in the chapter. So listen. We believe that every word on this page is the word of God. But there's also special times in Scripture where the God of heaven tells whatever writer, apostle, or prophet, uh, someone knows a patriarch, and it says, step aside. He says something. And so you listen. Your ears prick up as you listen to that. You listen as we read the verse, and we'll comment on that. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. He, that's the Lord Jesus, shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You see the turn there where the pronouns change. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And then the words of the Lord, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. We'll speak just on those words tonight as we look at this, uh, once again, this great chapter and this great verse. If I could put my ideas tonight under three words, I just want to speak on three words. The first word and the second word are in the chapter. The third word I had to kind of come up with and make it fit. The first word is a great word that all of us, young or old, could relate to. It's the word satisfied. Satisfied. That's a word that we use all the time. Sometimes we use it in a negative way, probably more often than not than in a positive way. The next word I want to speak about is justified. Maybe you've heard that verse in the Bible, but you've never understood what is it, because it's a very important term when it comes to getting to heaven, because everyone in heaven is justified, and God justifies people. We don't do it. It's something that God does. It's our salvation. The last word I want to speak upon is the word qualified. Qualified. Are you qualified? Sometimes I remember sometimes driving a truck, and sometimes if, when I was younger, if you were driving a truck, someone would go, are you qualified to do that? You know, thinking that maybe it was too dangerous. Sometimes I see people who are 16 driving vehicles, and I want to say, are you qualified to do that? Are you, are you able? Who gave you the right to do that? And so those three words I want to speak on tonight, satisfied, justified, and qualified. Those are three words that really come out very nicely in this verse of Isaiah 53 and 11. That first word, satisfied, satisfied, is used here in the first part of our verse. It says there, he shall see the travail, all the anguish, all the hurt, all the suffering of his soul, and he will be satisfied. That's a term that we don't often use in life. If, if you were like me, Progress reports come home, usually in between report cards. And I remember my progress reports, it was like you couldn't win. It was either you did an unsatisfactory job or a satisfactory. I was like, where was the grade? Where was the grade? Why was it so meager? You know, it was like it seemed like it was pathetic either way. Yeah, your son's satisfactory. It, it seemed like it was a low, low ebb. You said, I wanted to have the out, although I would never actually had that check mark. I actually hid the progress reports from my parents. 
But you say, unsatisfactory, or, or now I get these things sent to me after, uh, after you get off the phone with someone or after you buy a product, and they, they want you to tell how your experience was, and it's bad, really bad, bad, okay, satisfied, very satisfied. And I say, what's the difference? If you're satisfied, you're satisfied. Do we really need the very? When it comes to this verse, what's going to change from the way that we talk about it to the way that God talks about it is that Jesus Christ is satisfied. Here in this verse, he is. Makes all the difference about who's satisfied. Because you'll recognize that in life. It makes all the difference. Who's speaking? When, when, when someone like Jimmy or Danny go, I'm satisfied, they're probably talking about a bag of potato chips. When someone like Big Jim or, 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 or maybe Jim Anderson says, I'm satisfied, they're probably talking about something, hopefully, much bigger than potato chips. You'd say, it's, it's all a matter of age. Some of us say, oh, I'm satisfied. And, and when I was nine, satisfaction to me was that my Game Boy came and that I got to play it. Satisfaction at my age now is something so much more. It, 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 it means that I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting what I really want in life. I'm, I'm able to, to find happiness in some of the relationships. It's more than these little things. And so satisfaction matters who you're talking to. because. Some people find it so easy, and some people, we say, you'll hear your parents talk about them sometimes, they'll say, never satisfied, never satisfied. You ever hear your parents say that about someone, just close your ears, because they're probably saying things that you shouldn't know about someone. They're never satisfied. They say, you can do whatever you want, they'll never be happy. But is that what we're left with? Is that you or me? I, I think sometimes about life, and it always seems like you gotta have one thing more. One thing more, I remember a friend of mine, he said, satisfaction is like someone juggling. I can juggle two balls. My brother Seth, he can do three. And when he does it, you know what I do? I go, one more, one more, Seth. And I throw him one more, and he'll do four. And after I've seen that for a little while, one more, one more, and I want to throw him one more. Because you know what? Everything becomes normal. We drove by houses last week, and these people, they looked out over the Atlantic Ocean. And my wife said, wow. Imagine waking up to the ocean every morning. I said, after a couple weeks, it'd be the same like our street, right? It'd just be the same. Really, it really, it gets, everything gets normal. Well, you look at New York City sometimes, I look at these skyscrapers where people pay to live on the 110th floor, and I say, to look at what, the sky? Look at New Jersey? I said, it all becomes normal after a while. You get the best car there is, and you drive that around, within months, you're gonna say, what else is there? Because I want more. There has to be something more and better. In fact, I can't think of a better story. Was it Tom Brady? Probably some people's favorite player here. And it was him, the, the, the youngest man to ever win a Super Bowl, youngest quarterback. And, and then there he is, married to a supermodel. Millions of dollars. He has invitations from the Pope and more than two presidents to come and visit them. Multiple Super Bowl winners. And there he is, interviewed by a man named Mr. Croft. And in that interview, Tom Brady says, he goes, after all that I had, I'm left asking this one thing. There has to be something more. There has to be something more. When someone says that, if you know anything about the Bible, you probably want to say there is. There is something more. There's something so much more. Something so much more than anything I could want on earth. So much more than anything I could have that I could touch with my hands or see with my eyes. Something that can take the sin away from my soul. And so the Bible, when it comes to satisfaction, when it comes to something that only 
God could give. It says here about the Lord Jesus that when he looked at all that he had did, the work that he did at Calvary, all the suffering and all the pain that went through his body, and we've talked about it this week, the wounds and the bruises. We've talked about all the things men did to him at Calvary. He looked at it all. He looked at everything from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. He said, I'm satisfied. It takes a lot. Anybody here who's ever built something? I don't know, there's probably some men here and they, they built, I know there are some men, I look at the audience. There are men here who have built their own. They built their own house. They built their own, whatever it is. It could be an airplane. They, they built their own. They've done something, and, and they, they've done it the way they wanted. And at the end of it all, you said to them, are you completely satisfied with it? They'd say, well, you see, you see that little detail there? And it was something that you couldn't see, but they could. You'd, you'd go to someone who built the house, and they'd say, I'm just not happy with the way that lined up there. It's very unusual for someone who does something to say they're completely satisfied with it. I'd almost say it's impossible. It's impossible. Impossible for a man on earth to do a task and to say, it's perfect. Impossible. And yet here, in Isaiah 53, for the maybe first time and the only time in Scripture, we have this affirmation that the Lord Jesus here looks at all the suffering, looks at all the wrong that occurred, looks at everything that happened at Calvary. He says he looks at that and he's satisfied. He says, nothing more, nothing else I could add to it. Nothing, nothing, not one thing could be taken away. Added to this, nothing, taken away, nothing, satisfied. And then the question that we have to ask is, am I satisfied? To be satisfied with the same thing that Jesus Christ is satisfied with. It'd be, it'd be a wonderful thing tonight you could say, I could be satisfied with the same thing that God is satisfied with, and that is Calvary. All that happened at Calvary, all that he did. You say, I could, I could have that, and I could say, I want nothing more. I meet a lot of people sometimes, and they say, you know, I, I think I'm saved. I just don't know it for sure. And I always ask them this. What would you have done differently if you could do it again? Some people say to me, they go, I've met them. I, actually, some of them were related to me, and I, I was, you know, you, 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 you really want to help people. Because we said in the first night of these meetings, we said, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, and the only thing better than that is to know it. To know you're saved. Not just to hope. Not just to think, well, I'm going to give it a few years, and I hope I really have it. It's a grand thing to be saved, and to know it too. And people tell me sometimes, they say, I'm just not sure. I say, well, what else could you add? What else could you, you know, sometimes people think they haven't done enough. But here it says that Jesus Christ is satisfied in what he did, not in what you did. He's not satisfied in your belief. He's not satisfied in, in you. He's satisfied in what he did. And you can be satisfied in what he did. You say, that's it. I don't want anything more. I don't need to have anything more. There's nothing else that can be done differently because it was perfect, satisfied. Our next word here is justified. It says, by the knowledge. By the knowledge. It's a bit of a confusing part when we read it in the Bible here, but really what it is is by our knowledge of Him, He justifies us. You say knowledge of Him. 
knowledge of him. You ever think about, sometimes we talk about, people say, oh, I know, you know, I know so-and-so. And, and I know them, and you might tell me you know of the president, but no one here knows the president. You might know of, and you could fill in the blank, you could say, I know of a famous baseball player. And you say, but I don't know him. And yet, when you think of Jesus Christ, you know his name. You know his father's name. You know his mother's name. You know where he was born. You know where he died. You know some of his words. You know some of his brother's names. You know some of the men who crucified him, some of their names. You know some of his disciples. You said, I know so much about him. What more could I know? What does it mean to know someone? You know, I work with a man who's a firefighter. And he told me once, he said, you know what, it's really difficult, Dave. He says, if you go into a building where there's a fire and there's children there, he says, sometimes they're just looking for their parent to take them out of the room and they're afraid to go with you because they don't know you. They don't know who you are. And he says, you go into that and you know there's so much danger. He says, and, and, and it, it's a very chaotic scene. There could be smoke. It could be tough to see. He goes, you come in there with this outfit on, with this helmet, and, and you look like something that someone should be afraid of. And there's a child, and all they want to do is see someone they know, and they're afraid to go with you because they don't know you. You know, the Bible, the Bible comes down to that. We were always taught as kids, to one degree or another, I always... I was, I was saying to my wife, my mom let me walk to school alone in the kindergarten. I don't think they let people do that anymore. I don't know about Danny if he's walking to school now. But you say, you know why? Because you can't trust people. You can't trust them. We were always told, you never, ever, ever, when someone pulls up in a car and says, hey, do you need a ride? You never, you never get into a car with someone you don't know. And even if you kind of know them, you better be absolutely sure you know who they are to get into a car with them. You say, trust. Trust means i got to know absolutely sure who that person is, where they're from, what they've done. You say, there's so few people in my life that I can trust. And yet the Bible says here, by knowledge, by knowledge of him. And so when you're looking at Jesus Christ, all the things that we can know about him, his parents' names, we can know how old he was when he died. The place where he was born. What kind of bed he was born in. You could know 101 things about Jesus Christ. But what's important tonight is whether or not you trust him to take your sins away. Do you know him that well? Do you know him where you could say, I completely trust him to take care of my sins. The Bible says here, by knowledge of him, he will justify. Justify many that term justify, you say, oh, that's for, that's for adults to talk about. No, no. If, if everyone who gets to heaven is justified, then it's for everyone to know about. You know, justify is one of those uh, terms you might hear in the courtroom sometimes. And uh, you might hear it when, when judges meet, or, or it's legal term. But, but this term here, I always think about sometimes in life, uh, there, are, there are different things you could use as an example. There's, there's my bank account. My bank account. At one time, when I was... 20 years old, my bank account was in the negative. It said negative $237, because I had actually made out a check that I didn't have enough money in the bank for, and so they, it goes negative. And I went to the bank, and I borrowed some money from my grandpa, and 
I gave him $230, and I got back to zero. So I didn't have any debt anymore. I was back to zero, but I actually had no money to my name. You see, there's three different letters. People always say, if I, didn't, if I stopped doing things that were wrong, maybe I could get to heaven. But the Bible says, even if you were innocent, if you had never done anything wrong, there's no such thing as innocent people in heaven. Because this word justified means that God takes away all your sin, all the debt, however much you owe, he takes it all away. And you say, that would leave me at zero. And then he gives you all the good that his son has, he gives. The righteousness of God given to you. And this term, it takes me from negative, past zero, right into the positive. Such a great term. When it comes to even what we've done, sometimes we think about all the sins that we've done, and then we think about, well, if I could just get rid of them, if I could, if I could turn over a new leaf, if I could get a little better and get back to zero, I'd have such a good chance in heaven. But the Bible says, no, 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 not only do you need the sin taken care of, you need someone to give you all their good. And here is the only verse here in this chapter that tells us about this great word, justification, that Jesus Christ by people who will trust him, the same way you would trust a parent. He will take your sin away. He will give you his good. But you know, it says there, he only justifies the many. Sometimes people say, oh, I wish it was all. I wish it said all there. I wish it didn't say many. I wish it said all. Because then we could all go home tonight and no one would have to go home sad. No one would have to go home thinking that maybe one of their brothers or one of their sisters. No one would have to go home thinking that one of their friends uh, may not be going to heaven if it said all. It just says many because not everybody wants to trust this man. You say, why? Why in the world? Who would not want to? Who would not want to trust this man? After all we've learned about him this week, out of all the things that he did, and over and over again, we read in this chapter, he was, and we knew it was in the past. And then we read, he did it for us. It was for me, for my sin. It was God's plan for me, done by Jesus Christ. And here, we say, to be part of that many. There's not a lot of times in this chapter that, that term many is used. But it's supposed to speak to you tonight to say, not everyone wants this, but... If you do, if there's anything in you that say, oh, I would love to be forgiven, the Bible tells us now. We said in other nights, who would wait? Who would wait to have something this great, this wonderful? And so to be satisfied, to be justified, to have all the good of God given to us, all his righteousness, to have that trade. The Bible says in 1 Peter that it was the just or the righteous one for the unjust, the unrighteous one. Christ suffered once, just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. There was the trade. The trade was made. You could believe it. Finally, our verse says qualified. It says there, he shall bear their iniquities. Bear their iniquities. Carry something. Carry something that's so incredibly heavy. You think sometimes of who we trust to do we say heavy lifting, heavy lifting. I remember when I bought uh, the engagement ring for my wife. That was two and a half years ago. And I went into New York City. You said, that was your first mistake. I went into New York City. 
And I went in after work. I was wearing these big boots and uh, my work pants, my work top. And I went into a store that clearly said diamonds on it. And I went upstairs, I was very excited. And uh, I, I gave the guy all my money and got this little rock in an envelope in return. And I was going down these stairs and they were kind of dark. And this thought occurred to me as I came down to the bottom stair. I said, what if someone saw me come in here? Like I'm, I'm carrying all this money in this little stone in my pocket. I go, I'm a marked man. Like I should have hired a safety firm. I should have gotten a, I should have gotten Wells Fargo to come here in a, in a, in a van or something. And why, why in the world did I do this? I don't even have running shoes on. If they chase me, I'm going to go two miles an hour. And I started to get afraid, and then actually it got worse because that day I had to go take a picture with it in Harlem which is known to be the worst section of New York, because I wanted to go take a picture there. And I thought, what a bad idea. What a bad idea. Who would trust me to carry this through this kind of area? And you think of all the times, you, you get so nervous, because it's one thing just to carry a baseball, and then all of a sudden, someone says, here, would you like to hold this baby? And then all of a sudden, your arms tense up. You, you, they get firm because it's not just like carrying anything else. It's carrying something that's so valuable. When someone says, oh, here, would you like to hold this? And they pull it out of their, their, their drawer and they say, that's the only one on earth. You say, your hands get nervous. You, you all of a sudden, you can get sweaty because there's so much pressure in carrying something that is so incredibly valuable. You think of the greatest weights on earth. I was looking at things that weighed in incredible amounts. The, uh, the launch pad down at the Kennedy Space Center down in Florida, it weighs something like five million pounds, and yet men can move it. There was a boulder out in San Bernardino, California, that weighed 700,000 pounds. Men can move it. We're known for moving valuable things. We're known for moving heavy things. And just in my experience, I've had to move something that was so valuable, that meant so much, and you say, who do we trust to move these things, to carry them? Who do we, who do we use? The Bible says only one man is qualified to carry your sins. And he's the man who can take the sin from your soul. You say, what qualifies him to do that? Because he breathed air into your soul and gave you life. Only the man who is responsible for you being alive could be the one who could take the sin from your soul. Only him. You say, to know him. Here's the one. And Jeremiah tells us that he knew us before we were ever born. Before we ever even took our first breath. He knew me. He knew all the sins that I would do. All the things I would do wrong. All the times I would mess up. He knew me. And he still loved me and says, if I know him, if I trust him, he can carry my sins away. He can take care of them. He can save me. He can justify me. He can get rid of all the wrong and all the sin. Give me all the good that I need for an eternity with him. And like on other nights, I get to this point in the message. And then my question is, why haven't people believe. Why is, why is our meeting tonight not 100% of people going to heaven? You say, well, there could be a lot of reasons. I don't know. People are waiting for another day. Um, people just don't want maybe it right now. I remember when 
was younger, I was always thinking I didn't want to get saved because so many people were going to ask me questions afterwards. I really did. I really remember thinking, I said, if I get saved now, people are going to ask me questions. I'm going to have to do interviews. I said, no, that's not, not for me. Yeah, you, know, you, think, you think sometimes some of the things that you think of for reasons not to get saved, they don't make any sense when you think what would happen if the Lord came back. If tomorrow was your last day, who cares what people would say? Who cares the questions you would be asked? Who cares about those things? When, when heaven or hell are, are, are all possibilities for tomorrow, you say, what would hold me back from believing this? Sometimes we, we, we wonder too. We say, what would be the reason I would believe it? I, I could give you, you know, you'd say, I, I have never seen him. I've never seen the Lord Jesus. Would it help you if he was here tonight? You say, would I believe if I saw him? You know, some people think. There's a man in the Bible who says, uh, send to my brother. Send someone who rose again from the dead. There's a man who's in hell. And he says, you go give my brothers. Give them someone who's come back from the dead. They'll believe if they see something miraculous. And some of us think, if only I could see something. If only I could feel something. A lot of people, they want that. They say, if I felt it was right, I could be saved. You know, the Bible and the verse that we've read tonight gives it to you. And this is the only reason you should ever believe it. The only reason. Out of all the reasons you could say for were good. To believe what you've heard tonight. It's just this. It's what I said in the beginning of the meeting. These words are spoken by the God of heaven. He has said he has said, he shall carry their iniquities. He will take away their sins. If I said it to you, if, if I come here tonight and I didn't have a Bible, and I got up here and said, he will take away your sins, you'd say, don't believe, don't believe him. Don't believe me. Don't, not for a single minute. If we could all tonight sing, and it sounded wonderful tonight singing, if we could all sing tonight, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. If we could all sing it, and it sounded better than you had ever heard it sung before, you say, would that be enough? No, absolutely not. The only reason... You should ever believe that Jesus Christ took your sins will not be in something that you have seen, will not be in something that you have heard, as in hearing Him, something you have tasted, smelt, felt. It will not be based on anything that you have inside of this body. It will be because in that Bible, God said it. God has said it. The God who knows you, the God who sent His Son, the God who made the world and hung it on nothing, He has said, He will take away your sins. He will carry this burden. You have so much value. Who else would the God of heaven entrust to take your sins and suffer and die for them other than the only man who's qualified to do it? The only man who had no sins. His Son, Jesus Christ. And so once again tonight, we ask, Everyone in our meeting. This great verse in which we hear God finally speak with his own voice in this song.
we hear about a man who was righteous, a righteous servant. We hear about all his pain, but we know he's satisfied. Could we be satisfied too? We hear that he justifies many, because why? Because there's people who know him and trust him. And finally, he's qualified to do it. Amongst all human beings, there's only one man who is qualified to take the sin from your soul, and it's the one who gave his life, like we read last night, his soul as an offering for sin. You say, it's a great thing to believe something that God says. And let me just repeat what I said on the first night. You already believe that if you died tonight in your sins, you would be in hell. You already believe that. I know that. I get to look at an audience here, and I know that if there's 30 people here tonight, 30 out of 30 people believe that if they died in their sins, they would be in hell. And the only reason you believe that is because it's in the Bible. That's the only reason you believe it. Tonight, for the first time, instead of believing all the bad news, you could believe the good news. Because the Bible not only tells me if I die in my sins, I'll be in hell. The Bible also tells me he bore the sins of that by trusting him, where he is, I will be also. That there is forgiveness preached unto you through this man. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, knows him, trusts him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have believed the bad, tonight, believe the good. Because it comes from the same book, it comes from the same God. Tonight you could have salvation because you could know this Savior. You could trust Him as the only one who's able to take your sins because He died for them. He died in order that you might have life. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son and for our Savior. We're thankful for all the knowledge that we have of your righteous servant. We're thankful, Lord, for that characteristic of Him that we never have to wonder about him ever uh, erring, ever, ever choosing anything other than what you would want. And so as we close our meeting tonight, we ask, Lord, that there would be salvation in, in someone here tonight. There would be someone who would realize their great need for forgiveness of sins and recognize it's beyond their own doing, and yet they could be... Uh, they could know for the first time tonight what we've been singing about, uh, about a finished work and a man who said himself that it was finished. So bring us home safely. We ask the Lord to continue to bless the gospel here and other places where it's going forth. We, we thank thee once again that uh, the gospel is, is not bound. Uh, we could be bound by a pandemic. We could be um, somehow uh, kept from going places, but the gospel has free reign. And we pray, Lord, that it would do its work and that souls will be brought to Christ. So we ask all these things now in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll sing uh, in closing uh, one hymn here. 143. Was it for me, for me alone, the Savior left his glorious throne? The dazzling splendors of the sky. Was it for me? He came to die. It was for me. Yes, all for me. O oh, love of God, so great, so free, O oh, wondrous love, I'll shout and sing, He died for me, my Lord.
the king. We'll sing the whole hymn, uh, 143, and then our meeting will be over. Was it for me, for me alone?